Hey, thanks for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can head to our website at RenewalChicago.com. I pray today that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. morning we're going to continue in our series we're going to get back into our series called what do i believe y'all y'all liking this series yeah Yeah, god has been doing something he's been pricking my heart he's been working in the midst of our church um and this morning i got a lot for you so it may feel like you're drinking from a fire hose a little bit all right so um i want you to get your notes together everybody if you got a pen pad phone you can do it just don't be texting you know just you got a phone do all that you can just take notes this morning and like i said because we're preaching on doctrine what do i believe there's no it's not possible for me to preach through everything on that particular doctrine so i want you also to to write text in your questions to 224-216-4062 we'll have our next q a after our 11 a.m service on the 15th so if you're in this service, this 9.30 service, and you want to come to that on the 15th, go get you a bite to eat and come on back. Fellowship with family as I try to answer your questions. Q&A on the 15th after the 11 a.m. service. I hope to see you all there. I got one verse for you this morning, Ephesians 5, verse 25. Go ahead and meet me there. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen. If you got it, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet when you're able. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Got it. Go ahead and say, got it. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. One verse this morning. Let's read it together. You can look at it on the screen. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. We're going to start where it says Christ loved the church. Read it with me. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's it. That is the very word of God this morning. Today, I want to preach on the topic, the church, the church. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your goodness. You're an awesome God. We thank you for a gathering like this one that you've called us to, that you have us be a part of, the privilege to be a part of a church like Renewal. God, I pray that as I speak right now, Lord, that it wouldn't be me speaking, but it'd be you Let me decrease, Lord, so you can increase in this place. Father, I ask that you would have your way. Speak with my mouth. Think with my mind. Let every word that comes out of my mouth be acceptable in your sight. Oh, Lord, you are my redeemer. Have your way in this place. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus we all said together. Amen, amen. amen. You can be seated. had something in your life that you regarded as precious? You ever had something in your life you regarded as precious? I mean, you really cared about it. I mean, you would give everything you have for this person or this thing. And some of us in here, we're married and we're we're head over heels for our spouse. We would die for them. Some of y'all walked in here this morning like, I'm about to curse this little mo- you Don't even curse in church though, you know? We would die for someone. It, it, this thing that we have, we, we cherish it. We, it's precious to us. 
We would give everything we have. I mean, some of us have things that we spend a whole bunch of money on that we care about. Some of us have heirlooms and things that have been passed down from generation to generation that, that mean the world to us. We all have things in our lives that we would give or, or so to say, cash in all the chips for. And here's the thing, if you don't have that thing in your life, you do have something in your life that you're striving for. You do have something in your life that you're choosing to live for. We all have these things in our life that we live for. And in this passage we just read, Paul explains to us that Jesus, hear me, feels that way about the church. He feels that way about the church, so much so that scripture would tell us in Philippians 2 that Jesus would leave the confines of heaven. He would leave the plush kingdom in his throne and come down to this earth, not only as a man, but as a servant or a slave. And, and he would die the worst kind of death due to any man could do on a cross for the church. Jesus cared that much for the church. Which begs the question for all of us in here, what is the church? Who is the church? The reason I ask this is because if we took a poll right now and, and everybody that comes to renewal, everybody that calls renewal home, I, I guarantee if I asked you what is the church, I'll probably get over 100 different answers. See, my point is that the biblical understanding of the church has been misconstrued and misunderstood throughout the ages. So today what I want to do is I want to preach on the doctrine of ecclesiology or the church. And hear me. Christ loved the church, his bride, to the point that he would die, which means that Christians, this is very important to understand. If he would die for it, it's very important for us to understand. So today I got two overarching questions that I want to discuss. Number one, what is the church? And number two, what is the church supposed to do? Number one, what is the church? And number two, what is the church supposed to do? Now, I began with this question, what is the church? Now, some would say that the church is a building. Some would say that the church is a people. Some would say that the church can be held anywhere as long as there is more than one person in the room. It can be a church. So hear me with all of that said, I got a lot I want to cover today and I got a lot that I, I want to give to you. So, so follow with me. Get your notes out. I promise I'm coming to your neighborhood. I'm going to be all up in your kitchen today, all right? It was all up in mine this weekend. God was messing with my heart and, and I, I promise it's going to encourage you as well as challenge you this morning as we walk through this doctrine. See, the doctrine of the church comes from the Greek word ekklesia. Everybody say ekklesia. Ekklesia, which means assembly or called out ones, which means that the church is a special assembly or of folks called out and chosen by God to be a part of his body and his bride. The church is God's family. The church is to be a representative agent of the things to come and of God. In the world the church is the community of God's redeemed people those that have placed their trust fully in Christ for their salvation it is made up of men women 
people, all different races, shapes, sizes, color, all the way down the line. People. It is people from the past, present, and the future that will place their faith or believe in Jesus Christ. Now, why is that important? Hear me with all of this. This is important because this means that the church is not just made up of New Testament believers or people that have placed their faith in God after Jesus was here. Just as I spoke about a couple weeks ago with the Trinity, it's one God, three distinct persons in one. Now, with that said, hear me, hear me. God was building the church bringing people to himself before Jesus physically came to the earth and died for us. So Jesus building the church is just a continuation of what God already started. Now, now since Jesus has ascended to heaven now, now the Holy Spirit is working in and through believers to continue to extend the kingdom of God on earth. God has been calling people to himself since the beginning of time to worship him alone and is still doing so today. Hence, he still wants his church to continue to grow. This is why I always say to you, Renewal, that God is not done with us. This is just the beginning. We're five years in and this is just the beginning. I got a vision to see this church, all, both of our services packed out. I got a vision to see our church grow into the place where we're planting more churches there and we're sending people out of this place. We're training up leaders all over the country. When people say they want a leader to work in the church, I want them to say, I want to get a leader from renewal. I got a vision for our church. God is not done. How many of y'all believe that this morning? He is just getting started with his church. Now, with all that said, I need you to hear me because... This is the local church. This local church is not the end-all, be-all, which is why we plant churches. It's why Luke and I work in another organization, planting churches all over the world. It's why we, 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 we send missionaries out all over the world to share the gospel. To put it in simpler terms, hear me, there is both the universal church and there's also the local church. The universal church is made up of all believers, past, present, and future, people that are to come to know Jesus. And the local church, like renewal, is where the universal church, hear me, is expressed visibly and carries out the mandates of Jesus here in the present age. With all that said, the church is not a building. Let me say it again. The church is not a building. The church is a people. The churches of people, all those church buildings, they're great. They're, they're great, all this on down the line, et cetera. They're meeting places. They do not define the church or make it somehow now sustainable or a real church because you got a building. That's not true, family. Hear me. With all that said, renewal, I need you to hear me because when we will one day have our own space, we'll have our own building, whether it be a ministry space or a building where we do all our services out of, we will one day have that space. But I need y'all to hear me, family. When that happens, I don't ever want us to, to somehow now feel that we've arrived. We got our building, we arrived. Most churches, y'all hear me with this, are, that are dying in Chicago, they got buildings. They got buildings. The buildings look great on the outside, but when you walk inside the door, I know this because I work with a lot of these pastors. When you walk inside the door, they're struggling to keep the lights on, paint peeling off the wall. The church is not thriving. 20 people in a thousand seat 
auditorium. You know, sometimes having a building caps mission. It caps mission because it becomes more about the four walls of the church instead of the people being the church. See, the building is to be used as a place to further the mission of God. And I pray, I promise, I pray when when that time arrives, when we actually get a space, we move into that space, and and it may be sooner than later, I, I, I pray that we'll know that that building is just a tool. It's a blessing to further the ministry. It's not the end all be all. This all leads to my next sub point here is that theologians would say that there's both a visible and an invisible church. This is a tough one. It's a tough one when it comes to the church because the reason there is a visible, don't miss this, the reason there is a visible and an invisible church is because we cannot see the condition of a person's heart. And I'm not talking about heart disease and all that stuff. I'm saying we cannot see that they actually believe or if they don't believe. We we can't see that. Only God can see, which means, follow me, that the visible church that we see is not the invisible church that he sees. Y'all just missed that. Let me help make it a little bit more plain here. Matthew 7, 21 says, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Which means that there are a whole bunch of people that are out there with, with our visible eyes, whether it be looking at their works or their hands raised in church praising Jesus, they, we may look at them and think they believe. But if God was to give us a snapshot of their heart, we would see that their hearts can be no further from belief. But hear me, that's tough. Because none of us can see who's genuine or not. None of us can diagnose a person's heart. But just like that person that works on watches in the watch store, and two Rolexes is rolling the door, and you got one that's real and one that's fake, they look the same. He can't tell by just looking at them, but once he opens them up, he sees whether it's fake or not. One day, hear me, God is coming back. Jesus is coming back. And he's going to judge the living and the dead. He's going to diagnose our hearts. And he's going to see whether or not you're counterfeit or not. He's going to look at us and he's going to look at all of us and see whether or not we believe or not. And that's not to scare you, but we need to do the hard work right now of answering the question, do we truly believe? Do I truly believe in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and through him I have life? Do I believe that? Am I part of Jesus' beloved church, or am I just a poser? Hmm. Now, that's a caution and a question for us individually. But, But here's one for us corporately, so hear me when I say this, because although none of us can see the invisible church that God sees. All of us in here, as well as people outside these doors, can see the visible church, the people. We can see people. So hear me, this should not cause us to be overtly suspicious or or critical of people judging them or or be part of this so-called call-out culture or cancel, cancel culture. 
It's all that mess we, you know, like that, that's, that's, that, that's not what we should be a part of where we see people and we say, oh, they claim to be Christian. Well, let me see if they actually are Christian. Once they mess up, I'm going to call them out. No, no, that's not the church. It's not the church, but it's their family. Hear me. Let us plead with each other. Let us walk with each other. Let us walk with people and believe the best. Let us love each other, believe in the best of each other. And when we're doing that, allowing people to see the church that they rarely see. Let us be a church that walks together in love. And when one fails, it's okay to call them out. But at the same time, you know what you better do? You better keep praying with them and walking with them, hoping to restore them to where they once were. You know why we do that? Because Jesus did the exact same thing for us. He didn't cancel, cancel any of us out. You know, the only thing that he canceled out, y'all know what it is? Is our sin that when he died on Calvary. That was supposed to be us hanging up on that cross. But Jesus died the death that we were supposed to die. And he didn't stop there because once he ascends, he gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit to walk with us, to be with us, to talk with us, to counsel us, to guide us in all truth. And to keep the church going forward. He didn't cancel us out. So as believers, if we call Jesus Lord and Savior, then we should walk as Jesus walked with one another. Now, the church biblically has many different images when you look at the Bible, many different descriptions. But the four most common are, here are these, the building of Christ, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, and the family of God. Each of these titles are important, but they're still all descriptions of the same church. Now, the building of Christ is where Christ many times in Scripture, he refers to his people as a building or some type of structural element. For example, here at Renewal, when we're doing membership, we always talk about people being a spiritual, being, being, being living stones, being built up into a spiritual household. We see that in 1 Peter. We see that. 2, five. We, we see that First Peter 2.5, and, and Christ Jesus is the cornerstone on which all of that's built on. Or you go to scriptures like Matthew 16.18, where he's talking with Peter, and he says these words. He says, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, some would read this, and they would say, well, He's talking about Peter building the church because Peter's name is Cephas, means rock. So he's got to be talking about Peter, but when you read it in this context, which I always tell you, when you're reading the Bible, make sure you read the whole passage. Make sure you read it in this context. When you read it in this context, you know that Jesus is saying that he will build his church upon the confession that Peter just made, where Peter says, Jesus asks, well, what do they call me? Jesus says, look, and Peter says, look, 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 you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus says, yes, upon that confession, I will build my church. Now, hear me. Key thing in both of these, First Peter and Matthew 16, is that Jesus is building his church. Not us. Jesus is building his church. Not us. Jesus is building his church. Should I say it again? Not us. Jesus is building this church. Now, this is key to understand and remember because none of us can save people or grow the, a church with our human hands, with our minds, with our intellect, with, with our mouths. None of us can actually grow the church, at least in the way that's going to count for eternity. 
Which means that as your pastor, I have to remind myself day in and day out that my home isn't just trying to figure out how to speak eloquently or, or and how much I can do with my hands, but my home needs to be on my knees praying and pleading on behalf of our church that we would build the congregation and the place that God wants to build. I need to be praying because if I'm not going to God, we're going to build something that he does not want us to build. It's his church. This is why I implore us to, I want us to be a praying church. I want us to be a church known for prayer. Secondly, we see that the church is referred to as the body of Christ. Christ is the head, according to Ephesians 5. In 1 Corinthians 12, it tells us that believers are the body where if you look at the body, there's many different parts on your body. Y'all just think about your body. There's many different parts on your body. Hence, when you look at the church, we as a church, we don't all look alike. We also don't have the same giftings. But we all that believe are part of the same body led by Christ who is the head. Now, that's good news. That's good news because when you think of your head, what's a body without a head? Many things. It's brain dead. The body can't function without the head, which means that for the Christian, this is good news because hear me, your life and what you do is not all up to you. It's up to the head. The creator of the universe, the one who hung the stars and the moon in place. That's good news. And he's saying to all of us that believe, just keep trusting me. I got you. Believe. Let me guide you. And see, it's good news to be a part of the body of Christ. Especially because someone walked in here this morning feeling lost. You walked in here this morning feeling like you don't have any direction. You feel like you're not good enough and you need to be someone or something else. And Christ is saying to you, you are good enough for me. Just come to me. Come to me. Believe. I got you. Just believe. Thirdly, the church is referred to as the bride of Christ. Now, this is most famously seen in the verse I read to you at the beginning, Ephesians 5, where Paul is imploring husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church, the church. The people is the bride whom Christ sacrificially died for in order to present blameless to God. Christ served and he led sacrificially and then he died for his bride. He's talking to husbands. Husbands, hear me. If you want to know how to love your wives correctly, and you got to be able to die to yourself and follow Christ's example. Believer, I mean, husbands, hear me. I need you. Quick word to my man. Love Jesus, hear me. You, you want to know how to love your wife correctly? Then if you're not reading your Bible and particularly paying attention to how Christ loved his bride, the church, you're going to get it wrong. He gave himself up for her. Let me break it down, which means that it wasn't always about him and his pursuits, but it was the direct opposite. The church was his bride, and they weren't just on a journey with him following his pursuits. But sacrificially, Jesus gave of himself, and because of all of that, you know what the truth is? Here is the good news. All of us now get to experience the freedoms we have today because he gave of himself. 
This means that if your wife ain't with whatever direction you're trying to lead that family in, then you need to chill out. You might need to calm down, go back to the drawing board a little bit. Get back in the prayer closet or actually enter the prayer closet with God and ask God for direction because he's the head of the church. He's the head of your life. Let him lead you. See, see because here's the thing. In good leadership, I don't want y'all to miss this. If you're, if you're leading the ones and, and you're leading them self-sacrificially, you're giving of yourself. When you're leading them and they're benefiting and flourishing, guess who else is flourishing? The person that's leading. Christ loved and he led the church and gave himself up. Fourth, the church is referred to as the family of God. When Christ died, we believe we're now adopted into the family of God. We're adopted into the family of God. And because of Jesus' work and our belief, we are now co-heirs to this inheritance we didn't deserve. Now, side note on, side note on this. Adoption family is not just an idea that somebody came up with in society. They say, well, well, you don't want your baby, you can give it up to adoption. Or, or, or maybe you can't have children, so you go ahead and adopt. That's not, that's not an idea that somebody just came up with. This is God's idea. God saw all of you guys that believe right now. He saw you in the midst of your mess. He saw you where you were down and out. And he said, I love you. Come to me. He drew you to himself and he saved you. You adopted, he adopted you into his family through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Through Jesus' work, we're now adopted into God's family. This isn't some audacious idea that somebody came up with. This is God's idea. Now we're his own. He didn't need us, but he chose to love us. And because of that, y'all, agencies, hear me. Adoption agencies should be overflowing with applications from Christians. Not because we just feel like it's a good idea or we just can't have children, but this is God's idea. It's intertwined within our DNA, y'all. And even if we're not in a place, y'all, some of y'all like, Pastor, you ought to have my kids. I don't need no more kids. I got five. Believe me, I hear you. <laughs> but here's the thing. Even if you're in a place where you can't have kids or you're saying, I, 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 I don't want any more kids or I'm past that age, there's always people that need mentoring. There's always folks that need to be discipled. I just had my son, and I believe already that God, by his grace, has allowed me to adopt many sons. Some of them sitting up in here that I've poured my life into. Y'all, adoption doesn't have to start when we're like, oh, it's a good idea. Give your life away now. Give your life away now. We should see this all over the place because this is God's idea. The church is called to be the family of God because Christ adopted us into the family through his death, burial, and his resurrection. Now we'll experience, family, the blessing of heaven and the riches of God's glory after this earth. So as you heard me say before, I'm not working trying to gain all my riches here on this earth because everything I gain on this earth, I can't take with me. There's no U-Hauls going to heaven. I said it. Some of y'all still didn't get it. <laughs> that my treasures aren't stored up here, but I'm going to live my life, giving my life away to others and serving God, being worthy of called a son of God because that's what he did for me, y'all. I, I can do this because I know that my real blessing isn't just here on earth, but my real blessing is in heaven. I see him face to face. Now hear me, 
All this is key in understanding the relationship between church members because the relationship between church members results because there's this common identity as brothers and sisters. We're adopted into the family of God. See, see, the identity of this family is grounded in, the, in Christ's person and his work. And therefore, it transcends. Don't miss this. It transcends any earthly distinctions of race, class, culture, gender, or nationality. Y'all with me? True Christian fellowship is divinely brought about by God for the purpose of displaying and advancing God's kingdom on earth. So here's what we cannot miss, y'all. This is what I'm trying to get at. Within the body or the family of God, nothing should be able to divide us. Nothing. As I've said in weeks past, but there should be unity within the body. This is what Christ prayed in John 17 for oneness within the body. But I know even with that, there's some of us in here that are saying, well, well aren't there distinct, distinguishing qualities, though? I mean, aren't there things that make up the church? What makes up the church, Pastor D? I'm glad you asked me. I got something for you. <laughs> Historically, Christians have agreed on two main marks. The first mark is biblical preaching from the Bible. Now, notice I said biblical preaching. Everybody say biblical preaching. From the Bible. Biblical preaching. If a church is not preaching from the Bible or preaching some false doctrine, it does not qualify as a church. This is why it's important for Christians to read their Bible, not just to know God, but to be on alert so that you know that you're feasting and fellowshipping the right place. Now, again, Watch out with this one, because I, I don't want you to be too critical. Christians, we can be very judgmental, too critical sometimes. Y'all, there's a difference between closed-fisted issues that we die on a hill for and then open-handed issues that we don't need to be dying for. There's only a select few of closed-fisted issues to die for. You can go on our website and check our doctrinal statement for those. But there's a whole bunch of open-handed issues and peripheral issues that people divide over and choose one side or the other. It becomes very problematic. So hear me. Just because you disagree with the church or their belief, hear me, don't be so quick to say that they're not biblical. Don't be so quick to say that it's not a Christian church just because they don't agree with you. And if you feel yourself becoming divisive or getting to this place where I don't agree with what they're preaching, I don't agree where they are on this periphery issue that you believe, it, look, hear me, go talk to one of the leaders of the church. Sit down with them first. And if that doesn't work and you feel yourself continually being bitter and divisive, then you need to find another church. And that's okay. That's okay. It does not make them wrong and you right just because you don't believe the same thing, unless it's a close-fisted issue. The second mark of a true church, hear me, is correct administration of the sacraments, which are baptism and the Lord's Supper. So, friends, no, no matter how big a church is or the gathering of people are, once the Bible is being preached and once there are people being baptized and they're serving the, the, the elements of communion, once that once has happened, the gathering can now be deemed as a church. Now, you will see us practicing all three of those today by God's grace. Now, now let me be clear about something, though, with all of that, because I know some of y'all are like, well, I'm going to go, I'm, you're going to run with that. 
This will be my church. This will be my church. No, don't run away with that. Hear me when I say this. Because hear me, that parachurch ministry that you're a part of, and I may step on some toes with this one a little bit, that mission organization that you're serving in, that, that, that school group that you're a part of, the Bible study that you started in a church, that doesn't, it, just because it's, it's your thing that you believe in, it doesn't make it a church. Wayne Grudem says it this way. He said, it's helpful to add another mark of the true church. In order to be a church, an organization should be attempting to function as a church. Rather than encouraging its members to become part of a local church. It's a difference. Family, the word para means alongside of. Which means that other organizations that you are a part of, don't miss this, are not to replace the church. I didn't say don't serve in them. I said they should not replace the church. Okay, y'all missing this. Your giving is not to be replaced by giving someplace else. Your serving is not to be replaced by serving someplace else. Your leadership in the church is not to be replaced by leading someplace else. Okay, y'all still not getting your attendance in the church is not to be replaced by attending someplace else. Family, don't cheat on the bride of Christ. Give the church your all. And watch how the church then is able to help all those other efforts we're so passionate about. This all leaves us to this second and lingering question. And I promise I'm out of your way after this. Because I know some of y'all are sitting there saying, well, that's a lot, Pastor D. That's a lot on what is the church. And, but why is this important to me? Which leads to this second question. What is the church supposed to do? Hear me, the church, there's three things. The church is to minister to God, it's to minister to his members, and to the world. Again, there's three things. To minister to God, to its members, and to the world. Now, I know some of y'all are like, wait a second. That first one's a little weird. Minister to God? What does that mean? Pastor D, you preach every week and you say there's nothing we can bring to the table. There's nothing we could do to save ourselves. Dirt can't clean itself up. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, by grace you have been saved. It's the gifts of God. There's nobody can boast. I mean, yes, I preach all that every week and it's the truth. So hear me. When I say minister to God or this ministry to God, you know how this works itself out. I need y'all to hear me with this. It works itself out by us worshiping him. Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Now, I got to talk about this one a little bit because I don't know if we know how to worship in here. That was a joke, but I'm serious. (laughs) Paul is saying to us that we are to sing as believers. We are to worship as believers because we're thankful to God for what he's done, how he saved us. This means, and and I'm about to come up all in somebody's house right now. This means that we got to stop being late on Sunday to church. Worship is not optional. Worship is a part of the service family. This is, this is not optional Sunday mornings, and, it, and it's not just a means to prepare you to hear the word. Oh, I'm going to be late this morning, but I ain't missed Pastor D's message, so I'm, I'm on time. No, you're late. 
It's a major fulfillment of one of the purposes of the church. We are to praise God and give him glory. The longest book in the Bible, when you read the longest book, what is it? Some of y'all Bible thumpers in here. Psalms. It's a book full of songs. Praises to God, worshiping to God. Y'all worship should exude some sort of passion, which means that as we worship here, there should be hands raised, sometimes crying and and emotions all over the place. And and I'm not telling y'all to get up here and run around with flags all in the church and create a frenzy. I ain't talking about that. But y'all, we're made to worship. And when we realize what God has done for us, it causes us to worship. Friends, when you truly understand what he's done, it makes you want to shout. It makes you want to get up and dance a little bit. When you read the Bible, you see that David stripped naked and he started dancing. Now, y'all better not do that up in here. I promise security will be up in here. Don't do that. But worship should move you. Y'all, we've gotten very too tight in our worship. Too worried about what others think or afraid or what what, what, or seen as weird. Let me let me. I like this song, but I don't know if I'm gonna raise my hands this morning. No, raise your hands. Worship. It's okay. It's a good thing. Your worship is not for people. It's for God. It's for God. We worship one God. Now, there, there's order in worship. The Bible talks about that, so I got to hit on that a little bit. 1 Corinthians 14 talks about order in worship. So, so, for example, you may have the gift of speaking in tongues in here. We believe in the gifts. But here's the reality. If you do not have the gift of interpretation, you need to be quiet in the service. You need to be quiet in the service because if you start speaking in tongues and you can't incur- interpret it, then that's confusing to everybody around you. So that's a prior pray- private pray- prayer lane you need to keep in your closet. Keep with yourself. Because what we do in here, anything in the service, our worship, it should be edifying to brothers and sisters, meaning it should build up other people. But don't miss what I'm getting at, family. We're made to worship. You know how I know we're made to worship? Because some of y'all that's sitting here and don't raise your hands and don't, don't, don't sing the song. I've been with you when you're watching the game. And, I, and you, you're not quiet watching the game. You're screaming at the television. You're upset because you're worshiping what's happening on the TV. So when we step up in the service on Sunday morning, knowing what God has done for us, yes. y'all, it should move us way more than what we do when we're watching the game. Y'all hear me? We're made to worship. Let's not miss that. When we come up in this service family, we should be worshiping God, the almighty God. That means when I'm preaching sometimes, I hear some of y'all saying amen. That's why I say If you feel something, say amen. It's okay. It's not going to hurt me. It's going to make me preach better. When Demond and the team are up here worshiping, y'all raise your hands. Agree with them. Worship with them. Nobody going to think nothing. It, it might be weird for you, so go ahead and just, just, just get it up, you know. It's okay. You can start doing it. Start someplace. Only enhances our worship. See, people hear me. This is the point. People should want to know God by how you worship. They should want to know God by how you worship and how you live your life. Because hear me, and I might step on your toes a bit with this one, but if you can express your love and worship for God in the confines of this church right here, then it's hard to believe that when you step outside these doors, that people are looking at your life and saying, I want to know Jesus because of how they're living. 
and, and hear me, I'm not telling you you need to look a certain way. I'm not telling you you got to run around and do all that stuff. That may not be you. But what God has done in your life should definitely move you. It should bring us to worship. We're made to worship. In other words, minister to God. I'm going to get off my soapbox. Secondly, the church is to minister to his members. This is key because, as I mentioned last week, many times we come to church and we believe it's only the pastor's job to do the spiritual work of the ministry and minister to the people in here. The truth is, according to Ephesians 4, my job is to equip the church, to equip the church to do the work of the ministry. That means all of us are to do that. And to make it plain, here it is. There's no entity, there's no business, there's no team or anything that works well or flourishes and grows with just one person handling it. Jesus even had 12 disciples. This means that all of us that believe in here should be ministering to each other, the body of Christ. So, so hear me, what that looks like is if somebody is, is, is in need of something or something happens in the church, your first call doesn't need to be me. You don't need to have, you don't have to call me. But if you have what it takes to take that meal to the person that just had a baby, take a meal. If you have an encouraging word to someone that needs it, give an encouraging word. If you can serve somebody in some way, then serve them. That's what the church is to do. We as a church are to minister and nurture our members. Lastly, the church is to minister to the world in word and deed. This simply means the church is called to make disciples. Called to make disciples and spread the message of what Jesus has done in the world through our word and our deed. This happens, in, in, in other words, family, hear me, it's, it's done through evangelism. It's through sharing our faith. And it's also through ministries of mercy where we serve other people. We as a church cannot just preach the good news on Sunday and then share about it through the week, y'all. We got to live it out. There's over 2,300 verses in the Bible that are geared towards God's heart, towards the orphan, the widow, and the poor. He cares about them, which means that we should too, and we should be serving in our communities. Amen. All throughout the book of Acts, y'all keep going, the, the, the disciples' family and people are sent out all over the world to share their faith. And then when you keep reading, Paul writes 13, 13 different letters to different churches on how to live out this gospel that you're preaching. The world needs to not only hear the good news, but they need to see it done. The church is to do all three of these. And none of them outweigh the other. Your worship shouldn't outweigh your sharing of your faith. Your sharing of your faith shouldn't outweigh how you care for people in the church. We are to do all of these things as the church. We are to worship God. Minister to God, minister to its members of the church, and minister to the world through word and deed. And family, I've I given you a lot this morning, but hear me. When the people of God understand what the church is, when we understand what the church should do, that's when the world begins to change. That's when true restoration happens. God has not called men and women to himself for us to just come into our churches or to sit at our dinner tables in our homes with other Christians in the comfy confines of those places where we're comfortable and just keep this word to ourselves. 
but he's called us to be the church, to be the church. And my prayer is just that, is that for our church renewal, we would do just that, that we would be the church. And we'd see every sector of society, every law office, business, community, your neighborhood, your dinner table changed and made better because of what Jesus is doing here in his church. Let's be the church. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning. You're a good God. God, I just give you all the praise and all the honor. Lord, I pray that you'll continually be lifted up in our hearts, that we would be the church that you've called us to be. Father, watch over us and keep us. Use us for your glory. Continue to call us to yourself and, and grow your body. It's in the mighty name of Jesus we all said together. Amen. Thanks again for tuning into our podcast today. I pray that it was a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. I look to see you at one of our services at 930 or 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. Take care. God bless you.